Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of God, the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall learn, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Colossians 1, 13 through 20. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to him all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Revelations 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is the word of the Lord. God has a mission. As we read through the story of the Bible, it becomes clear that the God we worship is a missionary God. Everybody say, God has a mission. God has a mission. That's what Jared and I are going to be talking to you about today. By the way, Jared, it's fun to teach with you. I'm glad to be up here with you, bro. Amen. God loves all of his creation. He loves every person that he has made. And God is determined to gather to himself people from every nation, from every ethnic group on the planet, to forgive them, to heal them, to restore them, to unite them, and to set all of his creation right. And if we want to think about the mission of the church or the purpose of our individual lives, we've got to start by thinking about the purpose of God, God's mission. Everybody say, God has a mission. God has a mission. 
So today, as I mentioned earlier during our prayer time, we're starting this new series of sermons called God's Mission and Ours. And to talk about the mission of the church in relation to the mission of God helps to do several practical things for us. And in particular, I want to highlight today that when we think about the purpose of our individual lives and the purpose of our church, by first thinking about God and His mission, this frees us from two opposite errors. As Christians, we're prone to fall into one of two traps. The first trap would be that our hearts grow cold and or discouraged so that we become indifferent in the face of evil and suffering in the world, or we just despair in the face of evil and suffering in the world. Some of us, as time goes on, our hearts just get cold. They just get callous. Things that used to break our hearts with compassion and move us into action don't do so anymore. It just becomes easier to focus on ourselves. Or sometimes we spend a lot of time pressing into the darkness with the love and compassion and hope of Jesus. And we've seen a lot of frustrating, hard things. Anybody ever tried to follow Jesus out on a mission and seen some painful stuff? Seen some people start to do well for a while and then fall off spiritually? And it can get very discouraging. Some of us are just early on in the stages of our journey and we're still kind of focused all, all on us. We haven't even begun to look out into the world and be moved with the compassion of God. But focusing on the mission of God cures us of all of that. Because as we focus on the mission of God, we get closer and closer to the heart of our compassionate King. He's filled with love. If we spend time close to His heart, we cannot remain indifferent to the pain and evil and brokenness of the world. His heart starts to beat in our heart. But we also don't give in to despair because we know that the power source to bring change into the world is not a human power source. It's God. Mm. So that's one trap we could fall into, indifference or despair in the face of the world's evil or darkness. If, if we veer too far the other way, where we could go is what sometimes we call the Messiah complex. Mm. Y'all heard that phrase before? Yeah. The Messiah complex is where you start getting confused about who the Savior is, right? <laughs> here's, here's a heads up. I am not the Savior. You are not the Savior. What's the Savior's name? Jesus. Jesus. There's only one Messiah. His name is Jesus, the Son of God. None of us, hopefully, is actually thinking that we are the literal Savior of the world, but sometimes we start living functionally as if everything depended upon us. I'm going to go out and be my self-contained unit of missional awesomeness that's going to go rescue the world, rescue the South Side. I'm going to lead everybody to Christ. I'm going to disciple everybody. I'm going to be the social justice warrior. I'm going to come with mercy and healing. Just take care of it all. Or we, as a church body, are going to do that, and, and we start depending on human strength. But guess what? Human strength is not strong enough. So the mission of God, understanding it deeply, frees us from despair. It frees us from apathy and indifference. It also frees us from self-reliance. And as we reflect on this, we start to recognize, listen, I'm not the world's savior, but God is. And God has invited all of us to join him in his work of bringing hope and healing to the world. And as we walk with God and join him on his mission, we can be simultaneously zealous and humble idealistic and realistic, filled with hope, but patient as we wait for the fulfillment of that hope. So that's our goal in this series. And today we're going to start asking the question, okay, so what is the mission of God? Now to answer that question, really we would need to take several years and unpack the whole Bible. Because the whole Bible tells us this story. We can begin by just thinking of the four great movements of the Bible, creation, 
fall, redemption and consummation. God created this good world, but human beings sinned and rebelled against God. God created a world filled with peace, but because of our sin, now there's alienation and injustice and suffering and death in the world. But God initiated a redemption plan. He initiated it all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 when he promised to save humanity. We see it being played out in the history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see God's redemption at work in the world through the history of Moses, leading the people out of their slavery in Egypt to take them into the promised land. We see it being worked out when God establishes David, the righteous king, to rule over his people. But all of those Old Testament stories of redemption are pointing us forward to Jesus, the Son of God. And in Jesus, the Son of God, our redemption is accomplished through his cross and resurrection, his ascension, his session, and the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. Now we live between that moment where Jesus accomplished redemption and the moment we're waiting for when Jesus returns to make all creation new and set everything right. And in in that context, we get to participate with God in his work of setting things right. So today, in order to begin wrapping our minds around what this mission of God is, we're now going to take a second to zoom in and just briefly consider three texts from the scripture that begin to point us to the answer to our question, what is the mission of God? Such a good word this morning. Our first passage this morning will be out of Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is a text from Isaiah, a prophet before Jesus. This is a time who had a vision about what God was going to do to set everything right. Isn't it good that Jesus is going to set everything right this morning, church? Amen. You, you can talk to us. Come on, let's talk to each other. We need to know this truth. Isn't it good that Jesus is going to set everything right this morning? Yes, yes, sir. yes, yes. yes. Verses 2 through 3 read like this. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, I would love to take a whole lot of time unpacking all this buttery goodness. It's so good, y'all. It's so good. But here are some of the main points I want us to get out of God's mission today. One, God's mission is to all nations and all people. God has been about that saving all nations life, right? He he lives that life way before we ever even thought about it and dreamed about it. God was thinking about all nations and all peoples. Now, in verse 2, all that talk about God's mountain and being established on the highest mountain is Isaiah's way of pointing us to the fact that all owe to God's ways or his perfect rule. And God's way will reign supreme in the world. What Isaiah is seeing in this vision is that God's wisdom, God's shalom, is going to stand above all other wisdoms and all other powers of the world. I think we need to hear this today, y'all. This is something for us today. Aren't you sometimes tired of going around telling people that Jesus is going to set everything right? And the results being not what you wished. Tired, church? Has it ever happened to you where you get tired? Well, I want you to hear something. I want you to hear this. God's mission. God's mission 
is incredibly fruitful. It's fruitful. Look at verse 3. It says, many people, many people shall come and say, and then it stops. Many people shall come and say, Because many people here means many. Many. It's going to happen that God's rule, God's mission, will bring everybody to his mountain and they will experience his perfect rule, which is a good place to be, y'all. It's going to happen. God never said the harvest was few. Instead, God says quite the opposite, right? The harvest is plentiful, is what Jesus says. The laborers are few sometimes. Family of God, I want us to think about this this morning. Let's be the first to go to his mountain. Come on, come on. Verse 5 says this. He's pleading with us to do so. O house of Jacob, come let us go. Come let us walk in the light of the Lord. God is on the move. He is teaching the world his ways. And his ways lead to peace. Church family, will you walk with God to his peaceful city? Will you? Because the second point is even more beautiful. God's mission is also to make a city of peace. Verse 4 says, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hoops. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. My brothers and sisters, there's conflict everywhere, right? Yes. Come on, I said we can talk to each other. Isn't there conflict everywhere? Yes, there is. There is. is. Yes. <laughs> there's conflict everywhere. But here's some good news for you today. One, God is going to judge between nations, which means bye-bye to all the sinful nations deciding whether they're going to want to nuke each other or not. You know, last, like last week, my friend Troyano got engaged. Praise the Lord. He got engaged. And the day before that, the day before that, uh, we went to a place called the 45th Infantry Museum. We were walking around and we were just amazed by all these different weapons and stories. It was crazy. But the, the crazy, the crazier thing is that when we start looking at all these cool weapons, we started meditating on this this verse right here. And we started realizing, oh man, you know what? This is what God is talking about. Instead of these weapons being used for mass destruction and to destroy us and to separate us and to divide nations, what God says he's going to do with those those weapons is he's going to take those weapons of destruction, he's going to beat them into instruments of human flourishing, and utensils used for his glory. Man, what a beautiful sight that will be. What a beautiful sight that will be. And even the mentality of war is going to be transformed. There, neither shall they learn war. There's a necessity right now for nations to protect themselves by learning war. People just, people just use it, and they're, they're learning how to do it, and all the time to protect themselves, protect their nation, protect their people. But all of that is going to be left behind. We won't learn more anymore. Instead, we'll put our energies towards better things, like loving each other. (laughs) 
There won't be any us versus them mentality. It will only be us. Because God shall decide between disputes for many people. That means even down to the people level, not nations only, but even down to the people level, there will be, God will decide those disputes for us. Strife between neighbors will be settled. Let's be honest, y'all. Let's be honest. Neighborly strife is some of the most hurtful stuff, right? If 2020 and 2021 hasn't taught us anything, it, it has taught us this. And we probably missed a big lesson if we didn't learn this in 2021 and 2021. That we still have disputes against peoples and peoples and peoples and people groups. But the good news is that the vision Isaiah had, the vision he had, says that in the end, that will be eradicated. That will be done. He will fix that. He will transform all things. Now... As we get done with this vision, we're kind of left with what's next? How does God accomplish this mission? But the details are still not completely filled in on how God would accomplish this big mission. And there we keep going. So let's turn from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Let's look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is writing about what God has done and is doing and will do in Jesus Christ. And we see him pointing us towards Jesus as the fulfillment of Isaiah's hopes and then some. Let's look, starting at verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Mm. So the first thing this passage tells us about the mission of God is that God is going to rescue people from slavery to sin and Satan. Mm. As you watch the news, have you noticed that there's a lot of evil power at work in the world? And this evil power is manifesting itself in a million different anti-God, anti-creation ways. Racial strife, racial tension, poverty, ethnic cleansing, war, all these evils that we just mentioned. And what the Bible teaches is that all of us was born slaves to sin. And because slaves to sin, we were slaves to what Paul just called this dominion of darkness. We were under the control of these evil powers that were manipulating us. But here, verse 15 is saying, God the Father sets us free from that. Mm. And He does that through Jesus, the Beloved Son. Jesus, the Beloved Son, not only redeems us from the power of Satan, He redeems us from the power of sin, and we receive forgiveness. And He transfers us now from a really bad kingdom to a really good kingdom. We were part of the kingdom of Satan, the dominion of darkness, which oppressed and abused and exploited us, now we get to be a part of the kingdom of King Jesus. Mm. And that's a very different kind of kingdom. Nobody gets oppressed in the kingdom of Jesus. Nobody gets exploited in the kingdom of Jesus. Our king serves us and he sets us free and he teaches us how to be who he created us to be and we get to reign with him as beloved children of God in a kingdom of peace. The text continues, verse 15 says that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
Now these verses are building on the previous verses by telling us more about what has got, God has done and is doing in Jesus. The first thing it tells us is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now that phrase has a double meaning. First of all, it means that if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. Because Jesus reveals God most fully. So part of God's mission is that in a world that's wandering around in confusion, God has revealed his heart and character clearly through the person of Jesus. So that everywhere, all people can have access to the true knowledge of God. But that's not all that's going on. Because that phrase, image of God, you've heard it somewhere else in your Bible. Who can tell me? Where'd you hear it? Hey, from now on, when I preach, Jared, I want you to come up at the beginning and tell them they can talk to me. That's going to work when you do that. Where, where do y'all find that phrase, the image of God? Genesis, right? God mm -hmm. created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So all people, human beings, are made in the image of God to reflect the goodness of God in unique and distinctive ways. Jesus not only shows us what God is like, he's also the prototype of true, authentic humanity. So that in Christ, the glory of humanity is being restored. That's what it's talking about when it talks about the firstborn of all creation. You see, as the eternal Son of God, Jesus has always existed. But now, he has united himself to a created human nature, Jesus of Nazareth. So that when uh, we, get, we trust in Jesus, we're united in him and caught up in him. And we become a part of God's new humanity. So that the image of God is restored in us. This means that the Creator, Jesus, by whom and for whom and through whom all things were made, is now at work renewing His creation. It calls Him the firstborn from the dead. Last week was Easter, right? We talked about the resurrection. And I told you that the resurrection of Jesus is jump-starting a resurrection movement in all of creation. And this is a text that's talking about that. To say Jesus is the firstborn from the dead means there's going to be a lot of other people born from the dead, too. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. That's you. So if we trust in Christ, we have been resurrected in Christ, and we will be resurrected in Christ to, tr to participate and share in God's new creation. The text also tells us that God is reconciling all things in Jesus. Everything that sin has alienated is now being reconciled. So sin separated us from God, but now we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sin alienated us from ourselves. That's why there's shame and guilt and depression and all this psychological brokenness in the world. But God in his grace reconciles us to, our, to himself and, and to ourselves and gives us peace in our hearts. Jesus also came to reconcile us to one another so that individuals and people groups and ethnic groups don't have to fight each other anymore. The reconciliation of all things goes even beyond that to mean all things. What does that mean? Everything's going to be set right. Relationships are going to be set right. Squirrels are going to be set right. Waterfalls are going to be set right. Demons are going to be defeated. And human beings are going to be reconciled to angels. What we're saying is all creation, visible and invisible, everything that Jesus has made is now going to be healed by King Jesus. And the mission's not done until the peace of God and the shalom of God fills all of his creation. Our next passage comes out of Revelations 21, verses 1 through 4. And this is a personal favorite of mine. It's probably a personal favorite of yours as well. God shalom will indeed fill all of creation. Let's read it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as his, as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Oh, isn't that glorious? And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, before the former things have passed away. Here's out of Revelations 21 today. God's mission is to get rid of the old and bring it Then I saw in heaven, new earth. first heaven and the first earth has passed away. That sea is no. The coming of God's kingdom is going to totally transform everything. What happens is God is going to get rid of the old. What is the old you say? Well, the sea in the ancient times was symbolic for chaos. For me, I totally understand why. William, you remember this? You remember this going to Houston to go on a little mini mission trip to go help out a, a, a crew down in Houston, a partner church? Oh, my goodness. That trip was bomb. That, that was one right there. Oh, is it is going out, guys? Okay, I'm sorry about that. I'll just use this mic for from here on out. Andrew, I'll use this mic. We good? Houston was bomb. That's what we're trying to do. Okay. That's where we got? Okay, good, good. Yeah, Houston was definitely bomb. <laughs> and, man, I, it was such a beautiful thing. And then when we were done and we were about to hang out, we went and, you know, went to the beach and hung out. And for me... I've been uh, like emotionally scarred from a little kid because I, too early on, I watched the movie Jaws. <laughs> and, oh, oh man, I just had images in my head of this massive shark just like coming and swallowing me. So I went out into the water and I was like, no, I'm going to be brave. I'm not going to, I'm not going out like that. So I started swimming. And, uh, Will, I don't know if you realize this, but I made it about like two seconds in that I lost track of where the ocean floor was and then realized, uh-oh, I can't feel what's underneath me. I can't see what's underneath me. I was terrified. I said, uh-uh, I'm getting out of here. I, I ain't built for this. We out. <laughs> we, look, at, look how big I am. I'm scared of this. Anyway, um, you know, the sea is symbolic of chaos. It's not something we can really tame. My son is not like me. My son is like fearless sometimes. We went to the Blue Zoo a couple of weeks ago over there at Quell Springs. It's beautiful. It's cool. There were some stingrays there that lost their stingers. And my son was like, ooh, ooh, I want to go there. And we took him there to touch the, touch the stingrays. And when he touched the stingrays, my son is fearless, right? He pulled his hand back because he didn't know if it was safe. And his scaredness was not unfounded. If it were not a simulation, there would be ample reason to be scared, right? The sea is out of control most of the time. Humans still have not found out how to tame the mighty seas. But that is not the case with God. 
God is in full control. By the way, that is what we pray, right? We, we pray and we ask in the Lord's Prayer, we say, Your kingdom come, your will be done. Because the first earth, this world currently constructed, is full of chaos at time, and we want it to be set right. This is why verse 4 is so beautiful, y'all. This is why it's so beautiful. Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Y'all, the seas, they're of old. Pain, pain is of old as well. Now, some of us in this room, even this week or a couple weeks ago, have experienced a lot of loss. This week, I had the privilege of going and sitting at a funeral and another privilege of watching one of my best friend's mom's funeral. We long, we long for the pain to be gone and be of old. Here's some good news for us. Jesus, who can identify with your pain and suffering, will wipe away every tear from your eye. We may walk into his arms crying, but like when you were a child, y'all remember this when you're a child and you got like a boo-boo on your knee and you got hurt and it really did hurt, right? And you ran to your parents or your caretaker and they wrapped their arms around you and they said, It's all right. Everything's going to be okay. Them tears, they can go away. I'm here. It's okay. It's over. And this time, it'll be forever. It'll be forever. And point two is even more glorious, that God's mission is to be with us even more than he already is right now, church. And I heard a loud voice saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. God is making a place, a home with us forever. God himself will be with them as their God. Jesus came and he already dwelled with man. So God's people through the God-man Jesus Christ has already experienced this in part. But when he died on the cross and resurrected, Jesus ascended to heaven and left the promised Holy Spirit with us, with us according to his plan which is God in us. But the Holy Spirit given to us is like a down payment or a deposit on a house or an apartment, which gets you access for something more to come. While the Holy Spirit given to us is an amazing gift and a blessing and honor we do not deserve, our relationship will be even more full and is described as a marriage to God. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband. Church fam, Jesus is our husband and we are his bride. Sounds kind of weird saying that as a man sometimes, but that's the truth. And the wedding day is more beautiful than we can even imagine. We will be adorned, which means we're going to look good, y'all. We're going to look good, which is great news because sometimes we don't feel very attractive as a bride. And sometimes we don't look it to the world, but not on that day. On that day, grace wins. The purposes of God 
win. His bride is made beautiful through what Jesus has done for us. And on that day, the mission we have been describing, God's mission, will be finalized according to what God says he will do in Scripture. Isn't that good news, church? Amen. And that's where we turn. Well, we've been zooming in to look at three texts of Scripture, but let me just zoom out for a second. Because already, just in those three texts, we just look at three little passages, we've listed about 20 aspects of the mission of God. Okay? God... The Father sent the Son into the world to redeem the world. God the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit, and God's sending us. And we've already talked about about 20 aspects of the mission. Let me name just a few of those to you. I wouldn't try and jot all these down because I'm going to go fast. But just listen to a few of the aspects of God's mission we've already touched on. God is committed to, one, rescue people from the power of Satan. Two, forgive the sins of his people. Three, Redeem people from their slavery to sin so that their impulses don't control them anymore. Four, draw people to himself from every nation and every ethnic group on earth. Five, teach people from every ethnic group to walk in God's ways of righteousness, justice, peace, and love. Six, put an end to all war and strife on earth. Seven, usher in a new era in which God's new humanity faithfully stewards the gifts of his creation. I forgot what number I'm on. It's just bullet points on my list. Uh, next one. Usher in a new era in which God... Oh, that's what we just said. Next one. Reveal himself to people in and through Jesus so that people everywhere can enjoy a true knowledge of God. Reconcile all things to himself through Jesus Christ. Establish peace, shalom in all creation through the death of Jesus so that we have peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with one another, and peace in our relation to the natural world. Jumpstart the renewal of all creation through the resurrection of Jesus. Establish a unified and holy church under the authority of Jesus the head. Complete the renewal of creation through the second coming of Christ. Put an end to the destructive forces of death, evil, and chaos in the world. Heal every wound and wipe away every tear from every eye among God's people so that our trauma and our pain do not get the last word in our story. Now, that's just some of the things that were mentioned in these three passages. Imagine if we had time to look at seven passages. (laughs) The mission of God is big. It's beautiful. It's all-encompassing. Now, for the last few moments together today, we want to start you thinking about something that we'll continue thinking about in the weeks to come. Which is, what does this mean practically for us? And to start thinking about that, we can connect what we've been discussing today with the verse that we looked at few weeks ago, when we had our joint service with Christ Community Church in Rancho Village, we looked at Matthew 4.19, when Jesus called the first disciples, and he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And we said, those words are a paradigm for all Christian discipleship. So I want them to be in our hearts again today. Everybody repeat after me. Say, follow me. Follow me. I will make you. I will make you. Fishers of men. Fishers of men. I want you to hear, church, the core of your calling is not to go change the world. Did you hear that? The core of your calling is not to go change the world and fix things and set things right. The core of your calling is to follow Jesus. It's relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the center. You were made to enjoy God as he's revealed himself to you in Jesus Christ. But this invitation to follow Jesus comes with a promise that he's going to give us a new identity and a new purpose. 
And that new identity is really going to be your creator revealing to you for the first time who he always made you to be. You're going to discover your true self as you follow Jesus. By walking with Jesus, we find ourselves participating in God's mission because Jesus leads us out of ourselves. Jesus leads us into what Tim Keller called the freedom of self-forgetfulness. He leads us to serve others, both the church, we serve each other, and the world. We get out and get busy, roll up our sleeves, serving our community, serving the nations. This call to come outside of ourselves is always uncomfortable at some point. It always involves some self-emptying. Actually, it always involves participating in the crucifixion of Jesus. But you have to share in his crucifixion in order to share in the power of his resurrection. As we follow Jesus, he calls us out of ourselves. We die to our preferences, to our comfort, to the way we've always done things in order to be remade from the inside out. And as we do that, the paradox of the gospel is that as we die to ourselves, we become ourselves. Jesus gives us the gift of our true selves, which we discover in community and on mission, serving. So that following Jesus and joining him and his mission is God's way of helping you discover who he created you to be. And that's going to be what we continue to explore over the weeks to come. Amen. Well, as we close, I just have some simple diagnostic questions. These you might want to write down for you to ask yourself later when you get home today. Question one. Will you receive this invitation to walk with Jesus today? Not walk in front of him, not walk behind him, but walk side by side with him. Maybe today God's mission is sticking out to you for the first time and you're ready to trust God's plan for your life. You haven't done that. Well, all you have to do today is repent, which means to turn from trusting in your way and to turn to God's way and then believe in the gospel of of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But God's invitation is not just for the one who does not have a relationship with him already. It's also for us, church. Church family, are you ready to give up self-reliance and start trusting in God, the God of the Bible and his plan to rescue the world? Are you ready for that? Will you trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ and relinquish the identity and purpose you dreamed of for yourself and receive the identity and purpose God had for you? And are you ready to act when Jesus tells you to, responding to his gracious call to participate in his mission? Are you ready for all that, church? If you didn't get all that, you can always watch it later, listen to it later. That's all right. I just want us to surrender to King Jesus today. I want to know him more personally, and I want you to know him too. So today, as we leave from here, may God be with you, and may God teach you by the power of his spirit and bless you. Let's pray. Father, as we turn our attention to the Lord's Supper, Lord, I'm just so struck by what it took. The fact that your son Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins, for the very things that created all this chaos, all this darkness, 
all the evil in the world and in our own hearts. Lord, we are so grateful for your son, Jesus, who finished, who walked with you, Lord, and did it in such a way that now we can all have a relationship with you and will one day be made beautiful in Christ, adorned as a bride for a husband. Lord, as we take the Lord's Supper, would you remind us of all these gospel truths that we learned today from Brother John Mark and uh, Father, all those different points of God's mission, would they stick in our hearts and minds? And Lord, would you help us to find our place in your mighty mission that we may not be saviors to the world and we may not be complacent either, not walking with you and joining in your mission. Lord, we need you desperately. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.